It's Monday, April 11th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. There's a COVID outbreak in Washington, D.C., where many that are close to the president have tested a positive in recent days. A number of people attended a high-profile dinner last week, including the attorney general and agriculture secretary. In the meantime, President Biden continues to test negative. Also, as the midterm elections are on the horizon, former President Trump is endorsing Dr. Oz for Senate, and Democrats are scrambling to change the narrative on the economy, as many experts say they will have a tough time keeping majorities in Congress. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for more. Next, Epic Games has just released the latest version of their 3D software development tool called Unreal Engine 5. This tool allows gaming and movie developers to present intricate 3D details facial realism, and large-scale world-building. Epic says the new update will make it the backbone of everything from movies and video games to metaverse experiences. It's free to download and use, but Epic will take a cut once projects using it make over $1 million in revenue. Andrew Chow, culture and tech reporter for Time Magazine, joins us for the impact it might have. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I think the people who run functions, who run big dinners, who run functions like the White House Correspondents Ball or thinking back the gridiron dinner are going to have to make a determination looking at the CDC guidelines and seeing where the trends are. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start off with a little bit of a COVID outbreak there in Washington. We have a number of cabinet members, congressmen and women that have tested positive for COVID-19. Some of them have definitely been around President Biden, which I know uh, is probably a big concern. And uh, they've obviously been doing a lot of contact tracing to this. It kind of uh, a lot of this points to a dinner, the gridiron dinner, uh, where 67 attendees now have tested positive from there. But we have the Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, Merrick Garland, Attorney General, uh, Commerce Secretary Nancy Pelosi, a few, uh, you know, a number of people have already tested positive with all this. So Washington, D.C. saw a 150 percent increase in COVID cases in the last week. And that timing lined up with last weekend, the annual gridiron dinner, which was held for the first time since the pandemic. People were required to prove that they were vaccinated, but there wasn't the same day testing. And it's not just any dinner. As you said, members of Congress, members of the the cabinet, high ranking officials and a lot of the press. The press is the one who hosts it. And so a number of well-known people. Separately from that, Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, who was not at the dinner, also contracted COVID last week. And as you said, she and some others were near the president, although the White House has said the time and the distance that they were from each other did not qualify as a close contact. So at this point, they're not treating the president as having been a close contact with one of the people who contracted the virus in the last week. He's been tested, repeatedly come up negative. The vice president has been tested, repeatedly come up negative. Um, But it is a close brush here in Washington with quite a number of of the cabinet coming down with COVID. Let's move on to some other big news from last week. So we have our new Supreme Court Justice, Kentanji Brown-Jackson. She was uh, confirmed, I believe, by 53 members of the Senate. Three Republicans uh, joined over there to, uh, to confirm her. 
That's right. So Kentanji Brown Jackson becomes the first black woman to serve on the Supreme Court. She will officially join the court, we think, in June or July once the court finishes its current term um, and then Justice Breyer steps down. But um, this was a historic vote. And as you said, three Republicans joined Democrats in confirming uh, the president's nominee. So this was not exactly surprising. I think I told you at one point we, we didn't have any reason to believe that she wouldn't be approved. Right. Uh, but there was a little bit of drama along the way, but not much. She seemed like a sure bet from the start. And now, you know, everybody's always looking toward the future. What happens next? What happens if somebody else retires or, you know, God forbid, somebody passes away? Will President Biden have another opportunity for, for a nominee and, and to get somebody in there? And, uh, you know, Republicans have already been signaling that uh, they might be a tough sell, uh, you know, looking towards the midterms. If they control the House and the Senate, uh, and they are going to slow roll anything they possibly can uh, from President Biden. So, you know, it, it was this President Biden's only chance uh, to get someone there in the court. If we look at the past, we know that in 2016, months before the election, uh, when a Supreme Court justice died and Republicans controlled the Senate and Democrat was in the White House, uh, Mitch McConnell said he wasn't going to allow anyone to be approved, that he was going to wait until after the election. And doing so, a Republican, Donald Trump, won, and they got to pick who the nominee was instead of President Barack Obama. McConnell has hinted that he could do the same, although it might be a little bit more difficult for him to do it if we were, say, two years away from election instead of three or four months, as we were in that case. <laughs> right. uh, the political calculation would definitely be different. And I think it's also possible we could see in a case like that a more moderate candidate emerge, someone who Republicans would be inclined to vote for. Uh, what we heard a lot from Republicans last week was an opposition to Ketanji Brown-Jackson's judicial philosophy. They never argued she wasn't qualified. They said uh, they just didn't like the way she thought about the law and they thought she was going to legislate from the bench. And I think that was an attempt to set up an argument that they could make down the road um, that they couldn't vote for someone who was eminently qualified before because of their judicial philosophy and they can't vote for someone in the future because of their judicial philosophy um, in an attempt that if a vacancy did come up um, while Republicans controlled the Senate and Democrats controlled the White House, uh, that they would press for someone who's got a more conservative judicial philosophy uh, to fill that vacancy. It's always a fight there. So <laughs> we'll see. Obviously, we'll have to wait for something to happen to cross that bridge. But, uh, you know, like I said, uh, all the speculation and the conversations start swirling right away. Uh, let's talk a little bit about midterms. We're uh, seeing former President Trump has thrown his support behind Dr. Oz, who's running for Senate in Pennsylvania. That's just a primary for now, still proving that uh, candidates are looking out for President Trump's endorsement. And, um, you know, still he, you know, President Trump is still holding rallies also. So everybody's very much uh, still active there. The reason that there's all this um, fretting about what would happen if Republicans controlled the Senate is because a lot of people think that Republicans could control the Senate in the midterms. And one of the seats that is really being contested is Pennsylvania. And as you said, President, former President Trump endorsing uh, the former television uh, star, Dr. Oz, for that seat. Now, this is a really hard fought primary. Dr. Oz is not currently leading um, that that primary, that Republican primary, a, a man named McCormick is, uh, but we expect to see this one come down to the wire. And this is going to be a real test at this point of what Trump's endorsement can do to a Republican candidate. It used to be a surefire way to springboard to the front of the pack, but now I'm not so sure that that's the case. I think that we're going to have to wait and see how this one plays out to figure out what the former president's influence is. And, uh, you know, you got to 
love the way President Trump brings these people in. He says, you know, everybody likes him. He says, when you're in television for 18 years, it's like a poll. That means people like you. It's like a poll, he said a few times. Um, so I guess that, uh, you know, being on TV for a long time is just a, a means that you're halfway there. You know, uh, uh, maybe a little kinship he felt with Dr. Oz from both of them being in TV for so long. Uh, the, the other thing that's going on uh, with the midterms, obviously, is we're looking at record inflation, high gas prices. Everybody's pissed off about all these high prices. And we've seen it reflect in a bunch of different polls and surveys. So University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Survey, lowest it's been in 11 years. An AP poll, 70% uh, say the economy's in poor shape. CNBC poll, 81% think we might have a recession coming uh, for President Biden and the Democrats. They really need to flip this narrative around, uh, uh, work on the economy, because that that could bite them uh, when uh, the midterms come. Absolutely. Voters are telling pollsters over and over again that they're feeling the squeeze of the economy, that inflation and prices are hurting their bottom line, that they couldn't afford what they could before, uh, that this is making things more difficult for their families. Um, and this is at a time when Democrats could have been celebrating the greatest job growth in decades. I mean, we've created uh, so many jobs in the U.S. in the last year and a half, uh, but that's not helping people who have watched the price of milk go up, have watched the price of gas go up. Um, that are really having a struggle making ends meet. Um, and even though this is a global phenomenon, you know, inflation is happening all over the globe, um, they really see President Biden as failing to do anything to address it, failing to help them. Um, and they see this as a problem that they're going to punish his party for in November. Um, I think at this point, it's looking very bad for Democrats in the November elections. Um, and the economy and inflation are really the driving force behind that. Well, we'll see what happens there. I just wanted to end off with this last story, kind of a little wild story out of Washington as well. Uh, two men were posing as Department of Homeland Security employees and got caught up getting very cozy with some Secret Service agents, including one agent who was on the First Lady's detail. They got caught with weapons, surveillance equipment, devices to make federal government ID cards, access codes to agents' homes. No real motive released just yet in this case but they were giving secret service agents uh iphones free apartments uh drones tvs uh, a generator of all things you know um so uh, just a curious case there's more stuff coming on monday as uh, uh, the hearing for these guys uh, continues that's right. These two men who were arrested last week, their apartments raided in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, police say, the FBI say that they've been investigating this for about two weeks and every day it gets worse. They don't know why these men uh, were impersonating federal agents and getting so close to these Secret Service agents, although they suspect it might be to surveillance them or other agents who lived in the same building. Um, but there's a lot of them there and they are concerned and they are continuing to investigate. Um, and as you said, just really kind of a wild story. Uh, they had rented more than $40,000 worth of apartments in the same building. They had firearms. They had um, other things to impersonate agents and a, a really disturbing discovery uh, by the FBI that is continuing to unravel. Yeah, we're going to hear a lot more about this as, as we dig into it. But, uh, you know, they, they gave the circuit service agents all this stuff and it wasn't really clear what they wanted in return just yet. As you mentioned, maybe it was just a big surveillance thing, but uh, a big curiosity there. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Automotive designers, fashion designers, and architects are doing everything from design visualization to brand activations and entertainment crossovers. 
Film and television producers are using Unreal for virtual production on set and for final pixels on the movie screen. Then they're bringing their content to games and live events on a mass scale. Joining us now is Andrew Chow, culture and tech reporter for Time Magazine. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's talk about an interesting development for games, movies, and the metaverse. So 3D software development tool called Unreal Engine. It's been around for a while, but the latest iteration of this, Unreal Engine 5, has just been released. And uh, the company that makes it, Epic, is saying that this is going to help with the next generation of Web3 development. So we're talking about metaverse experiences, the movies, the video games, of course, are included in all this. And the first uh, experience I had with this was this uh, new demo that they released uh, for The Matrix Awakens. It was coming out right when the new Matrix movie was coming out. And and you see Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss in there. And uh, and you're like, man, these graphics look great and whatever. And they're like, oh, they're, they're, it's all... Uh, it's all graphics. It's all CGI. And, you know, they just looked so amazing. And the, the virtual world that was you got to walk around through in that game, too, just looked so cool. And so now this is uh, being released for developers and uh, we'll start seeing some more people use it. So tell us some more about it, uh, Andrew, please. And that demo was just uh, <laughs> it was so startlingly real. Um, so yeah. many aspects of it starting from their faces. Not only did they render both Kyrian in the present day, but they took them back to their 1999 cells from the original Matrix um, using a new technology called MetaHumans. So you have the faces, you have this whole city, this whole immersive city where every sort of building block is rendered in hyper-realistic 3D detail. If you look at every like chain link fence or every sort of facade of an Art Deco building, it's not just a surface with some detail. It's like 3D geometric shapes built with this development tool. And then there's um, super realistic lighting. So, you know, the, where the sun is in the sky and the way it bounces off a highway, if the highway is wet, <laughs> what type of texture the sun is bouncing off, whether it's metal or clay or something else, um, this tool set reacts to all of that. Um, so yeah, that the the Matrix Awakens was like a pretty stunning way into yeah. Unreal Engine Five, which is again it's a tool set created by Epic Games, which is the creator of Fortnite. That's sort of what a lot of people know it for. Fortnite being one of the sort of largest live action role player games in the world right now, if not the largest. But Epic is so much more than Fortnite because largely of Unreal Engine, which powers not just Fortnite, but so many other video games. And a lot of people think it can be the building blocks of video games, of film, of metaverse worlds, of engineering, of all sorts of things. Totally. And, you know, it, it's it's really cool. And I love that you put in the article, too, that, you know, some of the biggest impact from something like this, this just amazing development tool you know, might not even be for the big studios and the big movie companies and big video game makers, but for smaller developers, people that can use this tool to, you know, it has all these uh, different textures and everything, as you mentioned, right? So they can create the more realistic world in whatever game or movie they're creating. And they have this kind of a, as the shortcut, you know, they can focus on everything else that they need to that goes into putting a project together. And so this is going to help smaller developers a lot more. Absolutely. And I talked to a couple smaller developers about how Unreal Engine 5 is helping their creativity and sort of easing boundaries 
easing sort of the difficult or tedious parts of their craft. I talked to this Swedish guy who's a 3D artist and just downloaded the beta version of Unreal Engine 5 in December, started playing around with it for the first time and was able to create this incredible rendering of like a carpenter cellar filled with all these like custom made tools that looked like, you know, they've been in inside the cellar being used to, to cut objects for decades. Um, again, the way the light uh, glints off a blade. And if you weren't looking closely, you'd be able, you would think that this whole cellar that he created was actually filmed. And again, this is just one 3D artist working by himself over the span of a couple months in this new in this new world. And so that sort of gets to sort of this interesting strategy that Epic is using and that they've, they've released it for free. So, you know, it's an ex- this Unreal Engine 5 is an extremely powerful tool and probably could have been sold off the shelf for, you know, like 70 bucks a pop or, you know, like partnerships with studios, et cetera. But they released it for free, um, which is an interesting strategy because they think that the whole uh, industry for sort of immersive technologies, events, environments is going to keep growing exponentially. Um, and so the first sort of proof of that is Fortnite, the way that Fortnite is, be- is a social experience now. It's where a lot of teenagers hang out after school, socialize, meet new people. It's sort of like, yeah, it's the hub of their physical virtual lives. And they think that the more and more sort of experiences like the this that are built, the more we're going to spend in these virtual worlds. Totally. And so if they can provide the bedrock tools at first for free to developers, they can only, you know, grow and become sort of a heavyweight in this new world in I the mean, decades to come. Yeah, it's an exciting time for a lot of these types of developers and, and emerging technologies, right? We, we keep looking and hearing about the metaverse. This thing is going to be built out and there's a lot of high hopes for it and everything. And And yeah, I mean, for them to get kind of in at the ground floor with all of this and everybody start using their technology, they'll make money on the other end. Because as you mentioned, it's free, right? But the way they make money, the way Epic makes money is they'll take a 5% cut on products created with it, but only after they own $1 million in gross revenue. So, I mean, that's already just eyeballing the big projects, <laughs> right? They'll make exactly. a lot of money yeah. on that back end. Uh, you know, so I mean, in all of this, right, it's just a, a pretty exciting, you know, I, I love to play games myself. I, I told you my experience with that, the Matrix Awakens, that the demo from Unreal Engine. And it's exciting to see how realistic this stuff really starts becoming. And uh, talking about the film industry, they're increasingly using more CGI, things like that. And these things just start smoothing out, start looking so much better. You know, to your point about Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss, they look like real people. That was the trick I pulled on my wife. I was like, they're not real. They're video games. You know, that's how good this stuff starts looking. Absolutely. Um, and the, the one caveat there, though, in this is something that the Epic CTO wanted to stress to me is that the end game is not that all video games start to look in exactly the same or incredibly realistic, um, because there still should be room for heavily stylized or artistic video games. And, you know, like Fortnite is just is not that realistic looking. Right. Um, and it's on Unreal Engine 5 right now. Um, but the, the, I guess the idea of Unreal Engine 5 is that it can provide an array of tools so that if you want to do the most realistic looking thing, you can, and the technology is improving and improving. But if you also want to sort of flex more stylized versions of, you know, world creation, you can do that too. Andrew Chow, 
culture and tech reporter for Time Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.